Well, here we are at Christmas once again. It's just amazing how fast Christmas comes around again and again and again. But I enjoy this season a lot. It reminds me of a lot of the good in my life, both outward as my family and different events that took place in my life over the years, as well as inward. And as I was meditating, I became aware of a number of different things that have happened at Christmas time for me spiritually in my awakening. And a real interesting event took place for me years ago. I think you might have watched a a show on TV called Biographies. I was watching one about St. Francis of Assisi, and it was talking about that it was St. Francis of Assisi that developed the nativity scene that is in almost every Christian church right now around the world. And he wanted to give people a, a place to hold a focus about the birth of Jesus and what the event was all about so that they could begin to have a greater connection and a greater inner experience with that. And it made me go back as I was watching this program, it made me go back to when I was about eight, nine years old. And I was really doing a lot of prayer at that time. I didn't know about meditation. I mean, in 1950-whatever, there was not a whole lot of talk in San Antonio, Texas about meditation. So I would do my daily prayers after school. I would come home and just spend my time with God, talking with God, praying with God, coming into a greater alignment with that flow of loving. And I realized that there was certain things that kept rising up in my mind. I'm sure you have that happen quite a bit. It just, the mind is automatic and it's ever running and it doesn't stop. And it's very easy to focus more down into the mind and go with it than it is sometimes to hold our attention upward, especially if we're not really understanding that the difference between the upward pathway and the and the downward. So when I was about eight or nine years old, I started doing what I understand now was concentration techniques. And so I would do these concentration techniques to help me to begin to hold my attention here to the seat of the soul. Now, I didn't call it that at the time, but I knew that that's where the soul resided. And the way that that came about was I was at a church one time when I was seven. I know exactly the time of year and everything. And I was seven years old. I went to this church, and I used to visit a lot of different churches. This one happened to be a Catholic church. And we all stood up, and everybody began to say the Lord's Prayer. Well, I would always sit in the back of the church because it just, I like to watch the energy in the room being very visual and clairvoyant, I could see a lot of things going on, both physically but also spiritually. And so as I was standing back there saying the Lord's Prayer, all of a sudden something said, no, keep your eyes open. And so I did. And I just kind of watched as people began to say the Lord's Prayer. And as soon as they said, Our Father who art in heaven... I saw something quite wonderful. All the focus of the spiritual essence of a lot of the people, not everybody, but a lot of the people, rose up for a moment and there was a burst of light just coming out of the head for a moment. And then it went back down. And I realized in that moment that when you're saying the Lord's Prayer and you're saying our Father who art in heaven, it draws our attention to where our soul resides. It draws our attention to where God and the soul meet and are one. And I realized at that moment at the age of seven that this is where I wanted to hold my attention. This is where I wanted to pray from. 
and to be in union with God. And so that's what I have done ever since. And since then, I've learned a great deal about the inner pathway and how this truly is called in the East the seat of the soul in the circles of mysticism, Gnosticism, this is called the seat of the soul and where one begins to wake up once again to the truth of who we are as spirit, divine, rather than just the elements of the world. And so I began to do more at the age of eight, nine years old, having to do with concentration, learning how to really hold my attention on something and maintain that focus as long as I could. And I was doing that so that I could truly lift my awareness above the elements of the body consciousness, especially the mind which resides right behind the eyes, and to really bring my attention and hold my attention here as best I could. And as I did that, I began to awaken to a lot of other things within me by just holding my attention to that one place for as long as I could at any given moment. And in doing so, I began to be aware that there was yet another step beyond this action that I was doing, this concentration, and that was contemplation. It was to hold my focus on something that would help me to maintain that focus inward and upward to the seat of the soul rather than getting caught up in the noise and the mind elements, the emotions, the body, and being drawn back down. So it was Christmas time, and we had a nativity scene in the house, just like a lot of people would. And I went into the living room, set by the Christmas tree, and just held my attention for a minute on that nativity scene, kind of not memorizing it per se, but definitely getting a visual image of it. And then I would close my eyes, and I would bring my attention back up here, and I would see if I could bring that visual image present. And when it faded, I would look back down and study the nativity scene once again with my eyes open, once I felt that I had an image of that, I would close my eyes, bring it back up here, and I would hold my attention there, visualizing or seeing that image for as long as I could. And the more I did that, the better I got at it. But then I thought, okay, so now I have done this concentration and I've done contemplation to a point, but there's got to be more to this action than just holding an image. And so in my meditation, after a while I got to the, in my prayer, really it was prayer, it wasn't meditation back then. When I was in my prayerful state doing this concentration and then contemplation, I finally found that I didn't need to sit in front of something a candle or the nativity scene or whatever it might be to be able to get that image and hold my attention to it at the seat of the soul. And I could do it anywhere at any time. And so I started holding the image because it was Christmas on the nativity scene. And all of a sudden one day as I was doing the contemplation on it, I found myself actually going into the nativity scene energetically, just into it. And I was present there in that nativity scene that I'd been holding. And as I began to go more and more into this action of contemplation, I began to really live into that scene and have experience of that in a way that I never understood I could do up until that time. There's no way I can put into words exactly everything that I experienced or saw. But I will say this. I began to understand more about living in a state of consciousness outside the physical body. 
Some people might call it an out-of-body experience. But I learned that I could separate my consciousness from the physical and move into something other than that to have a greater experience in that which is more the soul body, the spiritual body. And I began to do this on a regular basis as part of my prayerful state. And as I did, I went further and further into a very spiritual dynamic that had a lot to do with loving. Now, we often talk about love in the world. We talk about loving or having love for our parents, love for our animals, love for our job, just love of so many different things that we have around us in the physical. But we also find that that love isn't forever. It isn't longing, I mean, it isn't lasting forever. It's temporary. There's a beginning and an end to the love. Now, the beginning may be here, and the, lo- the end of the love may be 20 years later, 50 years later. But oftentimes, there's many different little spots of love that show up that attach itself to that 50 years. It's not that we live in the flow of loving through all the elements of that relationship or that state. We go through a lot of different qualities within ourselves in that time. But God's loving is different. God's loving is consistent. It's true, it's consistent, it's ever-present. Whether we know it or not, God's loving is ever-present in us as our soul, And it is ever moving. It's a dynamic. It isn't stagnant. Love tends to have more of a stagnant energy. It isn't real dynamic. Oftentimes we can say, I love you. And there will be a little movement of appreciation of that love with another person or with our dog or with our cat or with a bird or with a book. But it doesn't continue to flow. But what I have found inside myself is that God's loving is very different. It is ever-moving. It is ever-present. It is ever-bringing us into and lifting us up if we will just allow it to, into that place where we can begin to live in that state of peace and joy and quiet and loving as much as we allow. To me, love is a dynamic more of the physical kingdom, the physical world. In the physical world, we have the physical, the astral, the causal, the mental, and the unconscious. That's who we are here, and that's what this world is all about and how it's made up. But then beyond that, we begin to move into the realms of soul and spirit. Well, in soul and spirit, it is a most dynamic, powerful, moving quality that doesn't change. It is ever-present ever active, where in the world, the states that I just described earlier of being are stagnant, and they have moments of action and moments of quiet and moments of a beginning and moments of an end. Just like your own body, it has a beginning at birth, and it has an ending when the last breath is taken and released. But the soul doesn't have a beginning or an end. The soul is eternal and ongoing. It has some 
phases of awakening in itself as it moves into the greater oneness with God, but it doesn't have a last breath to it. It doesn't have a beginning and an end. It has a beingness. And when you begin to live more into that state of beingness, you begin to understand better about who you really are as a spiritual being, as a loving being. And you begin to choose then into that because truly that's what you're longing for. We have this thing in us, and we all have it, this void, this emptiness, this longing that needs to be fulfilled. And it may seem like very much the same, but at the same time, each of us have something a little bit different in how we focus, what we long for, what we search for, what we chase after, in order to try to fill that void. When I was eight years old, I knew that void. I longed for something. I craved something. And I didn't know what it was for sure. Not until I really began to search inside to find out what that was because I didn't want to hurt like that. It hurt. I longed so much for something, and I didn't have words for it. I didn't have understanding for it. And that's how come I started praying the way I did. And I began to search in my prayer to understand different qualities of myself and to understand different actions of this longing to try to find out what it really was that I was longing for. Well, I found out very quickly, toys didn't fill it up. I could convince my mom to buy this little toy. I could convince my dad to get me a bike. I could convince my brother even to give me some of his stuff. He was a lot older than me, didn't need a lot of those things anymore, and I would go in and take them out of his closet or take them out of the garage and sort of reclaim them as mine so that I could see if that would be the thing that filled me up. I remember going into his closet one time and looking at all this stuff he had. And he had a job and he was buying things that he wanted And I thought, wow, I wonder what is it here that has filled him up? Because at the time I thought it had to be something in the world because it seemed like my body was craving for something or longing for something in the world. But I learned as I continued my prayerful state that it was only in that prayerful state that that longing and that emptiness and that void inside of me would quiet down, would come to a place of quiet and peace. Not completely, but it didn't hurt like it did before. It didn't seem as big and as dark and as empty as it was before. And so I began to realize that what I was looking for wasn't in the world, it was in God, it was in spirit. It was something of that nature. And once I had the focus place, which was here, where that light just rose up and exploded for a moment and then went back down, as they said, Our Father, which art in heaven, I began to discover that what filled me up at that place that was empty was loving God, that my soul was craving to be back with God. My soul was longing for God, longing for that loving that is God. I thought it was 
something else I had not even considered. It was the soul aspect or quality. I, at eight or nine years old, you're not thinking in those terms. You're thinking toys, food, people, playgrounds. What what fills it up? Today, as an adult, if I didn't know what I know, I'd be buying cars, I'd be trying to have relationships, I would be doing all these different things trying to fill it up. And that's what often happens to the world. As teenagers in our 20s and 30s, that's a lot of the action that we take if we're still trying to fill that emptiness with things of the world. So I began to realize about nine, ten years old that it was really about spending as much time in that prayerful state as I could every day in order to really allow myself to be filled, filled to overflowing with God's loving. And I realized that prayer for me was about giving my loving to God and receiving God's loving. I thought at first prayer was about asking of God to do these things for me. But I learned very quickly that that really wasn't doing it. And I found I was getting disappointed because I would ask God and I would expect God then to answer it and give me what I'm asking for. And even when I got what I was asking for, it didn't do it. It didn't fill me up. It didn't even begin to fill that void. But I found by simply sitting down and closing my eyes and going inside and holding my attention inward and upward and just sharing my loving with God, not praying, not asking, not complaining, not whatever, but just sharing my loving with God, I found that that is something that I really wanted to do, that there was a part of me that it was very important for me to be in that loving flow. But I also found that I still wasn't feeling quite fulfilled. And then one day, I actually saw this energy coming at me in my meditation, as I was sharing my loving with God, this energy was coming down and moving through me and out the bottoms of my feet. And I thought, whoa, what is this? And I didn't know whether to stop sharing my loving with God and just be with that. So that first few times... I would try to be doing both. I would try to be sharing my loving with God as well as let this energy move in me and through me. And then I realized that I, I didn't feel as though I was getting the full effect of what it was that was trying to move through me. So when I would see that coming towards me, I would stop sharing my loving with God and just let that in and just hold my attention on that movement. And as I did, I felt a greater surge of this energy. And I found that that which I was receiving, I had just given to God. This was my loving that I had just given to God that was coming back to me from God. And that is where I began to find the fulfillment. That's where I found that which would fill me to overflowing. And it truly does. It fills you to overflowing. And so I would share my loving with God, and I would receive God's loving. And I would do whatever I could to maintain that focus, letting go of my mind and all those things of the world and the body. And I found something very, very gratifying and wonderful. And that was a sense of self-love. 
but not self-love of the body, but love in the soul. The soul was loving me. God was loving me. And I found that the fulfillment and the way to fill that emptiness is with this dynamic loving, at least for myself. Now, it might be a nice, shiny sport car for you, and that's fine. That's maybe easier. <laughs> but for me, it was really connecting into this movement of loving. That's why when we talk about meditation here, we talk about letting go of the elements of the world, everything of the world, just set it aside for a moment. And believe me, the mind just keeps going. It doesn't really, really come quiet. And all it needs is just for you to give it a little bit of attention. It goes, oh, and you know what? We forgot to do this. <laughs> so by having something to hold our attention to, such as in concentration or contemplation, we can move then into a meditative state. The meditative state is where we truly are open and vulnerable and allowing, but also participating. We are in that movement of spirit, of loving, of the divine. And we, in that giving and in receiving, now we're living in what I call and what is called by many the river of loving. Rumi writes about the river of loving in many of his poems. And it truly is something that is not just a beautiful statement, but it is a beautiful way of being. To be in that river of loving, of giving and receiving on a regular basis and allowing yourself to be continually filled with loving. That's, for me, the greatest fulfillment. And that, for me, is the way that I have filled that emptiness, filled that void, filled that longing. All that has been answered. I don't feel empty. I don't feel needy. I don't feel dark. I am ever caught up in that movement of loving. And once the soul looks up and begins to live more in that dynamic with this action of loving, of giving and receiving, that becomes its true nature. The soul has been trapped in this world by the mind. Now, it took on the mind as a friend and companion because the mind needed, no, I'm sorry, the soul needed an element of the physical in order to have experience here. The soul is of spirit. It isn't a physical material element. And so when it came into the physical creation, it couldn't experience here. It could witness, but it couldn't really have direct experience. And so it took on the element of mind to begin having experience at the physical level. And the mind was so glad to just take a hold of the soul and say, sure, come along, have fun with me. And off it went. But what the soul had found is that the mind won't let go of the soul once it grabs a hold of it. It doesn't let go very easily. And after a while, the soul got accustomed to looking in the way of the mind down and out into the physical creation and lost sight of its inward and upward gaze. But if we can begin once again to move that gaze, move that viewing, that vision, inward and upward, 
we can begin to allow the soul to free itself of the mind's control, the mind's grip. And the soul then can do what it knows to do naturally, which is to look upward, upward to its source of being. And that's what consciousness does. It looks to its source. The body consciousness looks to the world because that's the source of its beingness, the source of its life. And so it's ever looking down and out into the world to find what the body needs and wants. But the soul isn't of this world. The soul is of spirit. The soul is of God. And so for the soul to truly find its fulfillment, it needs to have its separation from that downward look and be able to once again to look up to its source, which is God. As it says in the Bible, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, But the soul, the soul returns back from which it came as well. And that's what we do. Not just at death, but that's what we do when we finally liberate the soul from this creation. We go back to our source, our creator. And so by living in this state of contemplation and meditation and holding my focus into the soul and becoming aware of that dynamic movement of loving, of giving and receiving with God, the creator of my soul, I have found this wonderful place inside of myself that is ever at peace ever quiet, ever loving. And I know others that do the same meditation now that are finding that as well. In doing this, the fear of death drops away because you become aware that truly you are eternal and that this is not your home. And that that which you are using to have an experience in the world, when it drops, when you let it go for the last time, you will continue on consciously, aware, and just move on to what's next in your journey while the body returns from which it came. And if we do this right, the next part of that journey would be returning back into the very heart of God from which we came. Letting go of this world, letting go of our attachments to this world and taking with us all that we've learned of this world because that's why we're here. We're here to have experience. We're here to learn lessons about ourselves. The soul is a very dynamic presence, element of God. The soul is here to learn many different things, but two for certain. To learn about loving and how to live in that loving in a continual way as the river of loving. And The soul is creative. It's very, very creative. Just look at what you've created in your life up to now. Everything that you see in your life, all of your attachments, all of your needs, all of your longing, all of the people around you or those that don't want to be around you, whatever it might be, Those are your creations, along with all your education or your lack of education, your judgments, your fears. Those are all a part of that creative nature. And we come down here 
to experience our creative nature and how to really put it to good use, how to use it in a way that really serves the God in us. For it's the God in us that is the creator, the creative energy. And we come down here and we make a lot of mistakes in our creations. And then we have to go back and, in a sense, clean them up or realign them so that they work for us. And so in learning all of that, the soul does reach a point of fulfillment, completion. At this level, we've learned all that we came to learn. Like a very good friend that just died a few days ago that uh, had been coming here quite often would say about his life, He'd say, if I knew now what I understand, that this is a, like a park with Ferris wheels, with rides of all kinds. And I've bought tickets over and over and over and I've ridden all the rides over and over and over through many different lifetimes. I keep riding the same rides. And at first it was really fun and a lot of joy and interest. And now riding the rides is boring. It's the same old thing. But I keep buying tickets. Why do I keep buying tickets and have to come back and keep riding the rides? And one thing he was working diligently on in this lifetime, he would joke, is to get rid of the tickets and not buy any more so that he could leave the park and not have to return. Well, that's kind of what this is about. You come here again and again and again, in the Hebrew Jewish tradition, it's called re-embodiment. In the East, it's called reincarnation. I kind of like the Hebrew meaning or word re-embodiment. They say that we incarnate only once into this creation, but then we re-embody over and over and over until we're complete and the incarnation is complete, and we leave. I think that's a very nice way to picture this. It's not so much about reincarnation as you're just re-embodied. You're taking on another body again and again and again to ride the rides, to have the experiences, to learn the lessons, to get things complete. But when you get it complete, it's time to go. It is time to go. Well, you know, I have seen a few souls in this lifetime that I would say are complete, that are really complete with everything in their journey in this physical creation. But they're still here. Why? Why are they still here if their soul is finished with what it's supposed to be doing here? Why does it keep re-embodying? Well, one thing I've noticed and I've seen is our attachments are very strong for many of us. We get very attached to our families, to our children, to our husband, our wife, our mate, our partner, our friends, our animals. And I've even seen people that were very attached to food that have actually re-embodied to enjoy that food, to be with that food once again. One thing that we want to do if we're on that spiritual quest to complete and get going and back into spirit is to let go of all those attachments 
It doesn't mean you have to say, I'm getting a divorce. I'm putting you out for adoption. I'm going to take you all to the kennels and leave you. It's not that kind of a detachment. But it's detachment within yourself. You don't make them more important than you. You don't put them first. You put your soul first. You still keep them in your life. You participate with them in your life. But you have an awareness that you're here to learn with them and they're here to learn with you. And you get more involved in the experience that is there for both of you rather than being just caught up in the need, the want, trying to fill that longing up with them. So by learning detachment, you begin to find yourself freeing your soul up and your soul can really hold its focus inward and upward in an easier way because those attachments into the world hold the attention of the soul down and out. The more you can really free the soul up so that it can truly put as much attention in loving God first, and that's where I came up with the statement back when I was a teenager, God first and God only. That's how I've lived my life, is God first and God only. And the way I fulfill it in the world and be able to be a part of the world and with people is I look for God in everybody. I don't look for who you are in the world, what you look like in the world. I don't want to know how much money you have or don't have. I don't need the definition of you in the world. I look to you as soul, and I look to find your soul, that essence that I saw when they, everybody said, Our Father who art in heaven, and that light burst. That's what I look to see in you, is that light of the divine in you. God first and God only. God is everywhere if you will just learn how to see it, how to know it, how to feel it, how to hear it. God is everywhere. But in order to know that, you first have got to know God in you. Once you know God in you, it's very easy to see the God in everyone else. But if you don't know God, if you don't really know God in you, you can look out here and go, God, hello, God. Oh, where are you? Okay, come on, show yourself. And that's what you'll be doing. You'll be trying to see God. You'll be trying to know God in the world. But if you know God here first, it just automatically shows up. So that's where I came up with the statement, God first and God only. And that's how you want to live your life. Maybe. I shouldn't be defining your life for you. But let me define it anyway. <laughs> I would say, ultimately, that's what you're longing for. Ultimately, that's what you're looking for. And ultimately, that will be your answer. Once you get into this river of loving, once you begin to really, truly look into the face of God and know the face of God and know that you're from the heart of God itself, your life will change because your approach to life will change. Your attitude about life will change. Your attachments to the world will change. Your needs, your wants, your expectations with others and from others will change. And it's a good change. It's a really wonderful change. 
because then you're living in a dynamic flow, a dynamic movement, and it's very creative, very fulfilling, and very loving. It's the loving that is the fulfillment for us. It's the loving that answers everything. You can ask all kinds of questions in the world and in spirit, and you can get all kinds of different answers, but it still doesn't fulfill. All it does usually is just lead you to another question or leave you wandering and wondering about, but what's beyond that? But how did that come to be? Where did that come from? Why is it that way? I've been there. I've answered and asked and all over the place. And I know that all those questions really can't be answered to the fulfillment that loving can answer. The loving answers everything because everything came out of God's loving. God created with loving, and everything that we see in this creation is made of God's loving. Everything in the spiritual creation is made of God's loving. Everything. And when you connect into that flow of loving in God, you begin to realize just how that really does work and how you fit into that dynamic with the loving. I have been sharing since I was 18 years old. It was very interesting at the Christmas party we had just a, last week, last weekend. To my surprise, they brought a cake out to celebrate my 50th anniversary of doing this kind of sharing with people and assisting them in coming into their own understanding within themselves in meditation. And it was so strange for a moment, sitting there and going, golly, 50 years ago, I, and I just went right back to that first day where I stood up in front of a group of people in this woman's home and shared. And then I came right back and looked at the cake and looked at the people and thought, oh my God, that was 50 years ago. This is 50 years now that I got to this point. And it all just seems like in a moment. I can't feel the 50 years. It's all just a continual flow of loving. And that was good. That was nice. And I feel that it has truly been a fulfillment for me. I don't look at anything in there and see failure. I just see God's loving that was ever moving and sharing in me and through me. I don't expect anybody to change their mind or change their attitude or change the direction in which they're looking in life but I would hope that what I share might begin another part of a journey for you that maybe you haven't considered. And I might be able to inspire in you an awakening in you that you didn't even know was possible. To truly know God and to know that you are one in God, that you and the soul are one, you and the soul are one in God. There's no separation. There never has been and there never will be. Then why do you feel so separated here? Why do you long to be united with something? Is it God? Or what? That longing is due to the fact that this is the one creation in all of God's creations 
where we feel separation, where we experience being separate from God and separate from everything. And most every place else in God's creation, we experience different dynamics of oneness. We don't feel the separation like we feel it here. Here we really live in separation. And we're ever trying to merge into another person, into another situation, into a place in life where we feel more one and not so alone. But as long as we stay in this creation, we are going to be alone. We are going to be separate. And that's just the way of this creation. And that's not going to change. The reason it's not going to change is this is classroom 407. And this classroom is always going to teach separation. And that's just the way it is. And if you're done with learning about separation, then get out the door and go to another classroom. Don't come back in here because you're just going to learn about separation. Don't stay in here for any longer than you have to. Well, a lot of people do stay in this creation of separation a lot longer than they have to only because they get lost in their aloneness. They get lost in their longing. They get lost in their judgments and their fears that separation creates. If you're one in God, if you know you're one in God, you don't have the fears that you have when you're in separation. When you were a child, Do you remember laying in bed at night and it's dark and you're alone and it's really scary? But then when mom or dad came in or you could go into their bedroom and lay with them, it wasn't so scary. Everything was fine. We were kind of more one with something other than ourselves. And we felt safer in that oneness. Once you connect into the oneness with God, there is no separation. There is no darkness. God is total light, total loving, total presence. It never leaves, it never changes. You're never alone. And that's an amazing experience to have. Many of you already know some of this by your practice of meditation, focusing on the sacred name of God to merge into that oneness. You know, that sacred name of God, that unspoken name of God, that hallowed name of God that Jesus even talked about. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh my God. Has anybody ever really asked a question of what's the hallowed name of God? I did. And boy, did I get into some trouble. Eight, nine years old. Actually, it was seven years old. I was learning the Lord's Prayer at the age of seven at this church. And my parents didn't go to church, so I went with the neighbors to all these different churches, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, First Church of Christ, Episcopalian, Catholic. I went to synagogue. And I, I just wanted to experience God in so many different ways to see how people experienced it. At the time, at seven, I thought, okay, I'm going to find the one religion that really is connected to the God, and then I don't have to go to all these other churches. Well, I never found it in the building. I never found it in a minister. I never found it out there. I only found it inside. 
But I was at this one church. I went several times to Sunday school there. They started teaching us the Lord's Prayer. I went home. I learned it. I learned it. I learned it. I memorized it. I could say it over and over and over. And one day, as I was studying this and learning it, I came to the word hallowed name, the hallowed name of God. And I thought, well, what is that? What is the name of God? Right there it's saying that God has a name that's sacred, but it doesn't tell you the name. So that Sunday I went to Sunday school and the minister came in and he wanted to hear us all say the Lord's Prayer and see how we were doing and learning it. And after we all did that, he said, does anybody have any question? Yep, I do. I said, what's the hallowed name of God? Now, I had looked up hallowed. I had no idea what that meant. And it meant holy, sacred. So I knew it was really important. So I raised my hand and asked, and he looked at me and he said, Young man, that's a really interesting question. And I don't know the answer. And I don't like that you have shown me that there's something I don't know because I know it all. (laughs) And he said, I would say that the name of God is God. I would say the name of God is Jesus. And other than that, I don't know for sure what that would be. Well, that started me on a great, great quest at the age of seven. I wanted to find somebody who could tell me the hallowed name of God. What is that? Well, I went to a rabbi eventually, and he told me, that the hallowed name of God that they were talking about and that Jesus taught was about the sacred name of God or the unspoken name of God and it's written in the Hebrew Bible over a thousand times. He said the Christians call it Jehovah, but that's not what it is. It's an unspoken name of God that was only given to those that were ready to take the inner adventure that the name would take you on. And the rabbis and the mystics of ancient time in Judaism would initiate people with this name and teach them how to meditate with this name in order to awaken to whatever that name would lead them to, which was supposed to be God. And I said, well, tell me the name of God. Tell me what this is then so I can do it. And he goes, I don't know. I don't know. It was in our teachings and in our services up until the last temple was torn down. And when the last temple was torn down and the head rabbi the high priest was killed, the name was lost. And we have not had it since. And he said, a lot of people have tried to interpret it out of the Bible, but they're not certain. He said, I'll give you some names of people to talk to about it, Maybe they can give you more information, but they couldn't. I looked and I looked and I looked and I talked and I searched everywhere for the longest time until I finally found somebody in 1972 who knew the name of God, the unspoken name of God. But it wasn't until 1984 that I actually received initiation from the one who was to do that for me. That's a long time to wait. But all my prayerful meditative state 
up until that time, had given me what I needed. I had merged into God. I had merged into the oneness of loving. But once I had that sacred name, it exploded it. It expanded it. It opened it up into higher dimensions. Higher dimensions of experience. Higher dimensions of being. So if you have this emptiness inside of you, start a search. Start a search on how to fill that void. And I'm sure you've been trying to fill it for a long time. How many times have you been married? One, two, three times? You married the one thinking that that was going to fill the void, and it didn't? You got tired of hanging around something that isn't working? And so you went on to the next, maybe, and even the next. I say that only because I have seen that happen in life for people. I've seen that happen with people in their careers. They've gotten degrees or licenses. They get very proficient at what they're doing, but it doesn't serve them. I know somebody who was a doctor, who became a lawyer, who is now a chef. And I think he's going to move to something else pretty soon the way he talks. Don't look outside for that fulfillment. Look inside. Because that's the place where if you will connect into it, you will find that it's the loving that you're longing for, the loving that will fill that space. It's the loving that is of God. And I know I talk a lot about God, 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 God. And a lot of people get really irritated with that because they've heard God, 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 God from churches, ministers, priests, rabbis, imams, whatever. And it didn't do anything and they don't want to hear it again. But I know that what they were talking about there and what I'm talking about here are two different things. This is an experiential action. This is awareness action, a beingness action. It has no rules, it has no laws, it has nothing that is right or wrong. It just has loving. And in loving, you then move into that action that is for your soul in God to fulfill, and you find that for yourself. Nobody can do it for you. There's no Savior here in this room, in this practice, whether you're doing this practice here or in India or in Iran, there's a mystic there who's teaching this. In England, in Colorado, in California. I mean, I know where a lot of them live that teach this very same pathway. And the ones that are true and legitimate will tell you the same thing. There is no savior in the world other than yourself. You save yourself. You have to do the work. You have to do the meditation. You have to pay attention. You have to bring things into alignment with that loving inside of you, letting go of the things that don't work for you anymore and stop picking them up and using them again. And you're the one who awakens yourself into God and into that river of loving and liberates your soul from this creation so you can let go of the tickets you don't have to ride the rides anymore. You can leave room 704 and go on to what's next. That's called ending the re-embodiment cycle. Ending the action of reincarnation. Getting off the wheel of 84. 
whatever you'd want to call it. That's what we share here. That's what this action of meditation on the sacred name is all about. We call it the sacred name because it is a name that we know and we teach and share in initiation, and we know it's sacred because of what it does for us. We don't call it the unspoken name of God. We don't call it the unknown name of God. We don't call it the lost cord as they do in some places, such as the Masonic cycle. The Masons had it centuries and centuries ago. The Rosicrucians had it centuries and centuries ago. But they all lost it. We just have it right now. Now, we may lose it tomorrow. I don't know. Let's see. But if you get it today, you've got it forever. That's the beautiful part of it. It's not lost. So I hope I raised some questions in you. I hope I answered some questions in you. I hope I confused the good parts in you and quieted down the other confusions. And if I didn't, you're welcome. 